Welcome to Jammers. I'm Brett, and this week I have my friend Dan from Honest Dan Games. Dan is a game developer based in the UK and frequent game jammer. He's always taking part in the, the latest Ludum Diary and featuring his development process live on Twitch TV, interacting with various uh, audience members and encouraging community development along the way. So uh, yeah, I'd like to welcome you, Dan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? What are you up to these days? Hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, everything is good with me. Thank you very much. We're just, uh, I'm in a fortunate position where I get to still live life pretty much as normal through COVID. So um, yeah, same old, same old, but I'm enjoying what I do. Uh, and yeah, everything's pretty good. Thank you. Excellent. Um, so you've done a lot of game jams. Some of your more famous ones include a game called Trout, which was uh, a combination of game genres that don't mesh together that one was a lot of fun you've also done a few others um most recently battle of Kattenberg. oh it's the curse of Kattenberg. it was going to be called the battle of Kattenberg, but we went with the alliteration in the end eh? you gotta you gotta try and pull everything in a game jam to be memorable right for sure um now i i personally haven't played that game but it's a card game to my knowledge right maybe do you want to talk a little bit about what you're trying to achieve and sort of what the theme of that jam was yeah sure uh so it was the last ludumdar uh Ludumdare, however you pronounce it these days uh so yeah in the last ludumdare we wanted to do a game on the theme of stuck in the loop and uh, i worked with a friend of mine bora named known as uh, brain node games and uh, fortunately a community member of mine on twitch uh spacey3d who's a talented artist was happy to to do some illustrations uh for us as well which ended up feeding in massively to kind of giving the game character and stuff as well um but essentially me and brainerd games had been kind of toying with the idea of of, of making a card based game even before the jam and, and brainerd talked to me about this idea he had where uh, you know, like the game, uh, a game of, with playing cards where you, you deal them all face down and then you've got to uh, match them together. Is it like fish or go fish, they say, if you get it wrong? Um, so it's a, a matching game, essentially. But we wanted to kind of combine that where you're not just matching cards in order to win a, a pair and then win a point, but instead you're revealing cards and then they are your actions that you can use uh, in order to overcome some form of challenge. Um, and the the way we went about it in the end was to have a an RPG kind of theme to it, where you are a party of feline adventurers, um, and you have your different uh, kind of role playing game roles. In the sense, you'd have like a warrior, you'd have a bard, you could have a priest, uh, and they have their own kind of unique abilities in a sense. Uh, and the, you'd have your party, and you, you would fight against uh, the enemies in our game with rats. Um, I know creative cats and rats, eh? But, uh, and the idea would be that you, uh, turn by turn, you would try and defeat the opposition. Um, so uh, you start off by revealing a series of cards, turning them from face down, face up. Uh, that might reveal cards such as, oh, I can defend, or I can attack an enemy, or I can use my special ability. And then you get to play each character in your party on one of those cards, one at a time, uh, and the aim is to do as much damage as you can to the enemy so that they are defeated and then you go on to the next fight. But in terms of the, the stuck in a loop theme, we were the we were keen to do the card game, but we needed to kind of make it work in for the theme. So everything I've said so far isn't really on that theme, stuck in a loop. But that's kind of what's interesting with Game Jam. Sometimes I enter a Game Jam without any idea of what I want to do and you let the theme drive you. 
But what happened in this one more so was that we, we kind of had a mechanic idea that we wanted to explore. And then we just had to come up with how can we make it stuck in a loop? So uh, the, the way that we integrated the game design then was like, you are in uh, a place called Kattenberg. And if you imagine like a Monopoly board uh, of tiles around a map, which essentially Monopoly is renowned for you. You go around in a square, right? Buying properties and then you go back to the start. And once you go past go, you collect 200 and then you go round and round and round. We wanted to do the same sort of me mechanic, but to explore or to kind of work uh, as a kind of metaphor for the idea that you're kind of lost uh, and you're going around uh, trying to get out of Kattenberg, but every path you take winds you back because some curse has been, has been placed on the kingdom. So we kind of went with a story uh, kind of introduction of the theme, I guess, which ended up evolving into gameplay mechanics because uh, we then had to kind of design a board so that we could, you'd have pieces. So every time you'd roll a dice, you'd move your piece around. And when you land on a tile, you might have a, you might find something or you might have a fight. And that's where that card game mechanic I described earlier would come into it. So, uh, yeah, it, it became an interesting one that as much as we started with an idea, but we really, the, the game ended up changing quite a lot based on integrating it with the theme. Um, and that's one of the great things with Game Jams is it, it gives you that that chance to, to, it pushes you in a way that maybe you wouldn't have been pushed. Uh, and that can lead to some very interesting decisions. Yeah, for sure. Um, it kind of sounds like you took the hard approach because if you already have a mechanic and you have to adapt that to the theme, it seems like it might be more difficult than coming in just wide open. Uh, I think I think you're right there. I, I, I don't particularly recommend it. Um, because you're right, it kind of, it, it sometimes can blind you a little bit and it can, it can kind of stunt your creativity a little bit because you're kind of, you're throttling your creativity to make sure that it still f fits with this kind of agenda that you want to, you want to push. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's plenty of people who have these ideas in their head and they're like, oh, I really want to do this, but you know, work, uh, maybe my family relationships, everything else gets in the way of it. And so if you can, Still, people use game jams in those situations sometimes just to give themselves that window of opportunity to explore that idea they had. But um, yeah, so it, it, it depends on the person really on how they're going at it. But I, I wouldn't approach most jams. I think it's only one jam I've really gone into knowing that I wanted to do a mechanic. There's been a few, sometimes I go into a jam thinking I want to do something that uh, for example, we did a game called Bunners, where you play some medic rabbit who has to run along a battlefield to save the wounded. Uh, the birds are fighting the frogs. Don't ask about the backstory. But you need to go and get the uh, save them off the battlefield. And then in order to save them, you need to do uh, like a key pressing mini game. You know, like um, you have like typing mini games where you have to press a series of keys without making mistakes. Or uh, so to resuscitate, you'd maybe need to press WS, WS, WS over and over in rhythm. Uh, I was keen on trying to integrate some form of mini uh, input games, but that was the only kind of idea I had. So it wasn't really building up a game. It was just like, oh, I'd like to explore that. So I think if, if you go in with maybe a, a less concrete like mechanic and like, oh, I want to make a game that works like this and we'll try and just make it fit to the story. But if you go in with, I'm interested in making a first-person shooter game, or maybe just a first-person perspective game, let's say, um, that can restrict you less, and you're still pretty open to the to the theme to, to be creative that way. For sure. And I think having some general idea of what you might like to create will help you in the long run, because then you don't have to struggle with coming up with everything in your in the rush of the, the game jam right at the very beginning. And uh, 
it it can be hard, but I mean, it worked out for you. You guys, um, I think you scored pretty high in Ludumdari for the Curse of Kattenberg, didn't you? Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty much my, my claim to fame as far as game jams go, because we, we finished 12th overall, which is like uh, much higher than we've ever done before. Um, and we got third in the art category, thanks to Spacey3D's wonderful illustrations. But um, yeah, it, it, it wound up really good for us. But I think what I'd say is we, we t- I think what made a difference with our game is it seems a novel concept, but we also managed to, to give the game uh, a lot of polish for what was there. And a lot of that came with, we were using Unreal Engine, which comes with a lot of uh, kind of for free, nice aesthetics when you're working in a 3D environment with lighting and, and the likes. But also, um, Spacey worked really smart. Uh, she made some gorgeous design for the cards. And then when I say worked smart, I mean, she she reused elements to get a lot of what looks like a ton of uh, art assets. She did it in a way where she really wasn't wasting time and she was reusing pieces and combining stuff and repurposing stuff in order to get a ton of assets out. So uh, that helped a lot um, with with how we how we did in that jam. But um, I, yeah, I, I generally would say that the start of the jam, uh, like you, you mentioned earlier, it can help at the start of the jam not to uh, struggle with coming up with an idea, right? Uh, and I would say, indeed, that is sometimes for me the most stressful time of a game jam is that that first, I would say the first hour, but I've been known to spend the first 12 hours of a jam still designing or, or coming up with an idea or finalizing what we want to do. Um, and it, it can be stressful, but I, th- I think if you are vulnerable to maybe getting stressed or overwhelmed and you might not bother doing it because you can't come up with an idea you like, then maybe coming up with a fallback idea that you'll do if you can't come up with something is a a good idea. Because there's so many people I've known, because I I tend to stream when I do my my game jams on Twitch, and you have people come in also saying, oh, I'm doing the jam too. Uh, and there's so many people who start and don't finish. And there's there's obviously valid reasons for that, isn't it? It's not to shame anyone who does that. But you really want to minimize that because a, a jam can take a lot out of you. But never have I done a jam and then regretted it. I always feel really proud of like accomplishing what I have done and having something that I can show as well. Um, and also just having other people play my content. Uh, that is really, really rewarding. Um, so... It, if you can minimize anything that's going to stop you from finishing your game jam, uh, then I think it's a good idea. Definitely. For sure. And um, with with Ludum Diary, you get sort of help in that regard because you know that the jam theme is going to be one of the final 10 that they post. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. If, if you want to prepare, you can go through that list of 10 and sort of generalize your idea and come up with something for each of them but with uh, a jam such as global game jam which is only 48 hours you don't get that opportunity you get the theme when the jam starts and that's what the theme is yeah yeah i, I think it, it, it's interesting that jams do it differently uh i've done the global ga- game jam a couple of times but uh, like Ludum Day is the, the main one that I, I tend to participate in. But you're completely right that knowing what's coming up uh, can help. And it's it's become a tradition with me and the people I tend to work with in game jams is that we will we will go through that list and we will just have a, a silly uh, session where we get together on voice and we'll go through and we'll just write down as many little silly ideas we can to do with it. Um, and that that does help because when the when it gets announced then you if you know that you've at least thought of one idea that you'd like to explore a bit more then 
it totally relieves that pressure of having to come up with something from scratch. Um, we've had some people come into, I, I've streamed this before because it, it's meant to be just a bit of a, you know, getting everyone in the spirit for Loom Dairy. We invite chat to throw ideas in and we've had some people come in saying, oh, this is kind of cheating though. Um, and I mean, they're welcome to their opinion on that. Um, I think really it, in, a, in a game jam where there's no solid rules like that, it's up to people's interpretation whether that can, that is considered cheating. But really there's not, I would say it's not against the spirit of the jam. If anything, it's trying to, encourage people to be excited and to be ready to take part in a jam i mean if i was coding the whole game before a jam and then submitting it i think that kind of goes against the spirit of the jam so i think as long as you're not doing anything to give yourself a, a massive unfair advantage and you're not doing it with the interest of getting an unfair advantage then uh, I, I think it's a perfectly um it's actually i was going to say a sensible reasonable thing to do but it's actually really really fun uh, to try and uh, come up with as many ideas as you can. Um, it gets the creative juices flowing a little bit earlier than you need them, at least. Yeah, for me, the ideation phase of the game jam is the most fun part. It's where you get to talk about all mm. your ideas and narrow them down into something that you think that you can build in that time frame. But uh, they're, like it's it's less stressful than actually trying to build it and debugging everything, right? Yeah, um, for sure. And what I like about Global Game Jam is that when they make the theme announcement, at least in my home city, then we break off into different groups and we do, I think, three or four rounds where we switch tables and come up with different ideas and talk to everybody in the room about those ideas to sort of brainstorm. And just getting that diverse feedback and all those ideas together, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, that sounds a great way to do it. And kudos to the um, the Global Game Jam that you've attended to, to do that. Because I've been to a couple. I've had kind of mixed experiences. Uh, I've been to one which is primarily kind of organized by a university. And what kind of happens there is you, you turn up. I was one of maybe five out of 60 there who weren't part of the university. And all the uni guys and girls are, are kind of already got their groups ready to do it. So we didn't really have that opportunity to kind of really like cross ideas across as much. Um, but I think that's definitely a great idea. And, and also, uh, it allows you to, to talk to people who you, and meet people. I think that's one thing I've always kind of wanted to get more out of game dev is to have more friends uh, and, and I guess in-person friends who have a similar set of skills or interests or passions. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a good way to do it for sure. Um, uh, and I, I also do, when you mentioned the Global Game Jam, how they announce the theme, they, they do it so it's like the same time around the whole world, right? And they're very pushy on like, you know, don't spoil it for other people. Uh, mm -hmm. So it starts the same time, but you're not meant to post anywhere about it or something along those lines. Uh, and I, I respect that a lot. I think that it's a really nice idea. It lets people feel it's like it's fair. It makes everyone feel like, wow, everyone around the world is on a level playing field. Uh, and you're all working on towards the same kind of um, shared theme, which is, yeah, it, it's that nice feeling. And I think the Global Game Jam has that in, in its size, right? It, it's it's something where you feel like you're part of something. Yeah, I believe they start at 6 p.m. on the Friday with the announcement. And it's not just, here's the theme. They do a whole video that's around the theme, talking to developers around the world, uh, sharing their sponsors and everything for the event and really developing that sense of community among game developers. It's kind of like a keynote, right? They do, yeah. isn't it? But they do a bunch of different ones compared to uh, Lunandare that will have maybe one keynote. Yeah. They, they end up having a lot of different messages. And I remember Rami did a, 
a, a talk on one of them before. Uh, yeah, they get people who are actually well known in the industry to talk at these things, which is great. For sure. And what I like about it is it sort of emphasizes that sense of community and that game development is not just programmers. It's programmers, artists, musicians, game players. It's all of these diverse people getting together. Designers. Yeah, designers. It's all of these people getting Testers. together that just uh, work together to create something that they enjoy. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with you. And the games aren't necessarily video games either. At uh, the game global game jams that I've taken part in, um, somebody has brought in a 3D printer and they've made tabletop games. So that's another aspect. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it needs to be. Doesn't need to be restricted, really, does it? And I've seen it in um, in a couple of online game jams I've done where people have done a board game. I think the the biggest barrier there is getting people to play it. It's always a bit. If you've got a game that is in uh, like a HTML5 friendly game that people can play in their browser while they're bored at work, versus I've got to print off a bunch and cut out a bunch of cards and like there's such a bigger barrier to, to play it, but it's really rewarding when you do. Uh, so I, I know a few people who've done it um, and they don't get hundreds of people playing it, but the few people who do take the time to, to play it end up giving a lot of really valuable feedback and they've had some great experiences from doing so. And um, there was a guy, uh, Mark Marcus, I know actually, um, who does a bit of streaming on Twitch as well. And um, he made a game uh, through writing out the rules. It was like a, you know, play it yourself sort of game. Uh, you could use paper or whatever it is, uh, whatever you've got at hand to, to play it. And someone who who ended up playing that game ended up asking him, asking for uh, getting in touch with him and asking, can I make a digital version of this game so more people can experience your game? Um, and uh, they did do that. And that is how I ended up playing Mark's game is because uh, someone made a digital version of it, which made it that much more accessible. But yeah, there's a nice story about that it is worthwhile doing. If you're not into into doing it on a computer or you want some time away from the screen even if you can do it and you you want to just a, a different type of challenge then um though it's maybe a little less accessible to to players it it still can be a worthwhile experience for sure i was going to say there, there was one thing i found with um the global game jam and this may be my own experiences i'd be interested in hearing your opinion on it would be um if we were to uh, compare and contrast like ludum dare to the global game jam i think the voting phase the community voting uh, and the commenting on each other's games, that aspect of Ludum Dare makes it, for me, feel a big community experience. Um, as you may know, my, myself, uh, I do streams where I'll play other people's games and give feedback, uh, along with other streamers, like, you know, how I met Alicia Griffin. She she does the same thing where she, she'll get hundreds of people after Ludum Dare go into her stream, they submit their game, and then she'll play it on stream and give some general feedback. Uh, and that kind of sense of community of playing, rating, giving feedback is... Uh, something that I I feel brings people together. Now, with the Global Game Jam, I, I've kind of got the sense both times I've participated, and it may be the individual instances that I've done it, but where I just kind of submit it and then I kind of forget about it because you don't really have that, like, results. But they probably are results. I don't even know if I'm honest with you after doing mine. It, was, it didn't feel like there was that progressive uh, countdown towards the results where you contribute to... To, to the end result of the, I guess, the, the competition, if you'll call it that. Yeah. So in my experience with Global Game Jam, um, we do submit all our games onto a website for Global Game Jam, and they can be tested, but the emphasis isn't there. It's not necessarily on getting the feedback afterwards. It's about 
um, going through the process of creating the game. And at our at our uh, our global game jam location, we end up pitching our games at the end. We do a quick presentation. Every team goes up to the front. They pull up their game. They talk about what they were trying to accomplish, and they show a demo of how it works and sort of talk about things that they learned and things that uh, they would do differently next time. And it's sort of more emphasis on the learning process aspect of game jams and less emphasis on the result. Yeah, I'd say how you described that format is what happened in the ones I was in. It, it was great in its own way. Uh, I remember I still have memories that um, one one group did a VR game, for example, and they needed volunteers. So I ended up being, among others, a few a v- volunteers of having some being blindfolded effectively in this VR game that they had in front of everyone while we were kind of uh, demoing it. Uh, and, and you do have good firm memories from it, but I just, I think... I miss that after it's done, it, it feels like the line has been drawn and maybe for some people that is 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 fine. Um, but I think it's just because I can compare it to uh, Ludumadari where I feel like I, I, I meet people through doing it. There's a bunch of developers that I've met through and I play their game every time now. Uh, and they'll come and play mine and give feedback. And you end up kind of, the people you comment on their games and leave written feedback, they end up you end up building up some form of rapport with them. Sometimes it's just a comment. Other times they'll um, they'll make sure they come back next year. Other times they'll come into my stream and they'll become a regular viewer, for example. So it, it, I think I, I really enjoy that kind of the community lasting outside of the, the one time. But I guess if you were to attend the same global game jam and the same kind of crowd went every time, then you would probably still get that sense of community in that way, right? Yeah, for sure. I would say that I have the opposite experience as you. Okay. Um, with Ludum Dare, when I submit, because in order to get ratings, you have to go through and play all of these games. And I, I'm just burnt out by the end of Ludum Dare or at the end of a game jam. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. So in Global Game Jam, I meet all these people and it's great networking. And I often see them next the next year or I interact with them on Discord afterwards. But I don't feel that obligation to play more games and go out and rate games and give a ton of feedback. It's, it's more personal, a personal growth uh, journey for me. And Ludum Dari, I, I just feel the complete opposite. <laughs> but it's, it's really good to hear that because, as, as I was saying, it, it may be different for different people. And to hear that different people have different perspectives after it would explain why uh, there's different formats, you know. Uh, it gives people the uh, a way to, to engage with game development in a, in a format that suits them. Uh, and like some people really don't have the time either. Um, I, I'm fortunate that in my free time, I, I count out a lot of my free time to focus on either game dev, streaming game dev, or I mean, playing games to an extent as well. So a lot of, I have time already allocated to that. So when it comes around to Ludendary, I'm, I'm kind of, that is going to be my content for a bit. You know, I'm going to be playing people's games or I'm going to be doing a post-jam version of my game. And it just, I have time to put towards it, I guess. But um, yeah, there's a lot of people who will take a weekend off work and then they're back to their normal lives. You know, they might have two kids that they need to get to bed at a certain time and uh, a second job or or uh, perhaps just they want to spend their time doing other things. So yeah, uh, it's good to hear perspective. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think just game jams in general are great for everybody. Um, now, moving on, I think we can get to our format of the game jam and perhaps draw a theme here and kick off our ideation process what do you think yeah that sounds good to me perfect so listeners have submitted their theme ideas i'm i've put them into a a random name picker and we're gonna click generate name 
And now I I have submitted one, so if I get the one that you pulled out, it'd be bad luck. But um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing when that does get pulled out. But carry For on. Sure. What have we got? So this theme is no in-game text. No in-game text. Now, to me, that isn't really a theme. It's kind of like a, a restriction, right? Or a a rule. Yeah, that's it's it's a rule for a game. Which is sort of like Global Game Jam has um, these modifiers. I, I forget what they refer to them as, but they're basically a whole bunch of rules, a, a diversity modifiers, I think. Yes, yeah, that's what they call um, them. Where they're meant to take your concept and apply them in different areas to sort of round out your game and to reach those different, uh, to reach different communities and stuff. Well, some, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, they definitely have. They've had some for like accessibility before, and I think it's it's a way to kind of encourage people who maybe do game dev as a hobby uh, to to really think about some of the extra aspects uh, that that actually do find their way into to game development at the studio I work at, for example. There's there's so much that I've really had exposure to to realize how much work goes in to make a game fully accessible. For sure, um, uh, there's a whole team dedicated to it, effectively, you know, and and so. Yeah, it's. Um, I think they're good. They're good for those reasons for sure. For sure, and this one, no in-game text. I've considered this for the games I make uh, on the side as part of my hobbying, um, because no in-game text just makes it far more accessible and breaks that language barrier. Um, one game that I found that's fairly good at this is Moonlighter. A lot of their instructions in that game are animations or symbols. They don't really put a ton of text into the game, which helps the developers from a localization standpoint and helps uh, the gamers from an accessibility standpoint. Yeah, I think, well, we, we can talk about this this rule as like how how we how it could kind of be incorporated into a, a into a game jam, no problem. Because I think as you started to allude to, it, there's definitely uh, it, it makes you think about how you could. Uh, satisfy this criteria in a, in a game jam uh, entry and as you said it's very similar to the restrictions or the diversifiers you get in the global game jam uh, and sometimes these can really help people be creative for sure because if they're just thinking of doing a platformer a mario-esque game um, then you know now you have a modifier where you're like okay so we have to change some elements of it and it, it's that restriction process can help some people get to that kind of creative point in their workflow but uh, like you said i I think sometimes getting rid of text in a game can be really useful because there's always that i'm sure that talk that many people have seen about how tutorials should be about uh designing a game in a way where people discover how to play you introduce mechanics you design your level in in a sense where people will have to explore the mechanics in order to progress with the level for example i think they use mega man as a, as a good example of this um but even to strip back from that kind of perhaps overused example of how tutorials should be done uh this little things i've seen in game jams before that make a, a world of difference uh one thing i really like uh and i always mention this so i get ridiculed for it a little bit but i love when a game jam game allows you to control the game on the title screen. So you can actually try out the controls. So if you imagine you have a, a menu on the side that says like start, uh, quit, or what, or an options, whatever it be. But then on the right side of the screen is your character. And you can use the controls in game 
in order to move it around. And it gives you that that kind of opportunity. It doesn't need to teach you how to play then because you, you kind of have a chance to play around. Not everyone will, will notice it and explore it. So it's maybe not the only way to, to show a person how to play. But for me personally, I think it, it's lovely because it just... One, what you, you kind of would like to avoid, ideally, when someone plays your game for the first time, do you want their first experience to be, well, there's two things, a massive pop-up tutorial showing, explaining all the rules of the game. A lot of people don't engage with that as much as that's how I thought tutorials were done when I first started game dev. Um, so you can either do that and then you really disengage the player or they'll probably skip it and then they'll miss points in it and then they'll feel frustrated when they don't understand what to do. Or another alternative is you don't show them anything and then they just end up dying immediately because they didn't understand, oh, I was meant to jump or, oh, I pressed this to do this. And so that first experience your player has in a game is dying or frustrated or not understanding something. Uh, and especially with game jams, I think is really important because I think uh, if we if we use Ludum Derry again as a, as a game jam example, you're essentially the people who go and play games tend to try and play at least 20 games so that their game gets uh, in the same way that if everyone plays 20 games, everyone's game would get rated. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, if you imagine someone going out and saying, right, I'm going to play 20 games, I'll do 10 each night. And they might only sit down for an hour to do that. So what well, that gives them six minutes per game. And if you include the time of navigating from different pages and, and rating a game and writing a comment, it's probably talking around like two to five minutes per game. So if your first experience on a game is frustration or it's a barrier, then they very well just may move on to a different game or they may not end up playing it. And and, and certainly the one who misses out them is, well, they may miss out, but ultimately you've put a ton of work into your game and you really want people to experience it, but you, you've not made it accessible for them. And, and so, yeah, uh, this is all panning back to that idea of like showing people how to play in a way that... Uh, is not kind of breaking the flow, which is not going to be only interesting for 50% of your, your player base, like uh, text-based tutorials. For sure. And I I have to agree. I enjoy when games have that sort of menu screen that allows you to interact. I think Baba Is You has that. I've not played it, but it sound, it looks the right game. That it would. I, I, I haven't played it either, but I think they do that. And then the other format that I like is where it throws you into the game and it sort of just tells you once at the beginning, hey, can you go get this? And so you walk over to the thing and it shows the button and then you know how to do it from that on. Yeah. Um, you don't need a giant block of text explaining everything. Yeah, I think it's quite common these days. People will just chuck a bit of text. I know we're talking about not using text, but if we're just discussing it generally, they'll put a bit of text in the background saying like press A to jump without a pop-up it's just part of the, that tutorial scene mm-hmm. and people have, have kind of gotten used to that idea of we can break the little world immersion of uh like uh, of our game in the tutorial area because uh, at least when yeah it doesn't have to be a stopping point it it can flow yeah exactly it's kind of finding a bridge isn't it between tutorial and no hand holding at all for sure um from a, on a personal note, I, I think this is very individual based, but I absolutely adore the uh, a, a game which doesn't have handholding at all uh, and you discover it. I think my, my brother once told me that he loved Breath of the Wild because it was such a, a game of discovery. Uh, and the same with um, uh, The Witness uh, by Jonathan Blow. Like 
that's a game where you get told very little what to do, but you have to find out what to do. Um, there's, there's no like pop-up saying, oh, this is how the puzzles work. You just go up to like a puzzle and you try and interact with it. And then you do a certain thing and it works. And you're like, oh, that's how this works. And it's that discovery learning, which can be really rewarding to some people, but to other people, it can be a complete throw off. But uh, one game that did this really well, in my opinion, just to give it a shout out, because I think it is a great game uh, and not massively well known is a game called Below. Um, and th- that was a, a, if you kind of think of a Diablo style Dark Souls in a sense, but with no explanation of how to do anything in the game and it it was all very mysterious there was not one line of text in the game but I found it so rewarding uh, trying to decipher some of the symbolisms that they use to to kind of uh, encourage you to do the right things Uh, they also did some really cool like level design Um, so if you imagine as you walk around these this this kind of underground dungeon there's traps that you can walk over like a tripwire and in the first couple of rooms the tripwires all they do is trip you up they make your character fall over. You don't lose health. It's just annoying. But then by the time you get deeper in, uh, one of those can kill you in one shot and then you have to go back to the side and try and get back to your corpse. So it, it kind of it teaches you in, in a way that is kind of rewarding to the player if they pay attention to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's definitely, it, it's tricky to, to kind of give that advice for a game jam because as much as you may be passionate about that and you might think, oh, that's how I would love a game. A game jam... It's sometimes about the, well, it's partly about being creative and exploring your passions, but you also want people to play it, right? Um, and so it's kind of finding a, a balance between being too stubborn about what you think is great versus how are we going to make sure that more than one person plays this and, and gets to experience what I've been working hard over the last weekend making? For sure. And game jams are rapid prototyping. Um they're games that are meant to be played quick and dirty and really explore like what you can do in that short period of time and get to the exciting part of the game. You don't really want to bog people down in this super long tutorial phase. You want to get them into the action. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think um, on, on the note of um, symbolism that we mentioned a sec ago, I, I think there's, there's a lot that we can take advantage of when we make a game for a game jam. You can keep in mind your audience is normally game developers or people who play a lot of games at least uh and and so you can save yourself some time through if you have a health bar you don't need to write health next to a green bar at the the top left of the screen because so many people are used to it being there you don't need to have a tutorial page say oh collect a heart to get health back because people are so used to some of these concepts so um that that is kind of in favor of this no in-game text for sure uh, and and just to to be aware of the the symbolism and maybe the almost un, unwritten kind of standards that we're used to seeing in games uh that you can communicate a lot of information with with very little effort for sure and i think that's an important lesson for game developers uh who are just getting into the industry you don't need to explain everything you can show and have the action speak for itself. Yeah, I, I remember my first mobile game that I'd made and how many pop-ups I would have. And I got ridiculed it, uh, ridiculed for it by my friends. Um, and when I was doing it initially, people were like, oh, you don't need to explain this much. But you have that feeling when you're making a game. You're like, no, I need, I want people to know why I've done this. It's almost like you're, mm-hmm. you want to show off how much work you've done or you want to explain the, the intricate mechanics of what you've done. Whereas... People aren't playing the game to appreciate your effort. 
people are playing a game to experience it. Exactly. Uh, and it takes a while to, to get to that point of uh, putting your own ego and your own sense of like, someone praised me for my hard work uh, aside. Um, and not to, it, it's kind of like people that I'm not a parent, but that concept of over-parenting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of a parent, they call it helicoptering sometimes where they just kind of float above their child, making sure, you know, they, they keep an eye on what they're doing and they say, no, don't do that. Or yes, do this. You're kind of guiding someone instead of letting them just do what they want to do in this environment that you've given them. For sure. Sometimes putting in all those controls are painful for the project. I, I was just going to say one more thing on the knowing game text as well, that I would highly recommend people out there um, taking part in game jams would be, if you think knowing game text, how would I do dialogue? You know, how would I convey a story? Because people do love story games uh, and people like making them and playing them. But I would really recommend voice acting um, it, it's genuinely will save you so much time if you just plan on having uh, the voice play at a certain point or at the start of the game, have the voice over just read out and then when they press a button, it'll cancel or skip it. Uh, that saves you so much time of having to write, type it all out, make a dialogue system that'll go one page to another, to another, to another. Um, it, it may not be everyone's area of confidence, but I, I have found it saves a lot of time and it adds almost a uh, unjustified amount of polish to a game jam game because I don't think many people do it. So whenever you do play a game and it's got these these voice bites uh, or the sound bites of, of, you know, when it's game over, it pops up and says something. Or when you start a game, it says the name of the game in, uh, or the characters even do their voice lines uh, and it's all narrated. Like that sort of stuff really adds uh, a level of kind of uh, polish that you don't get in the majority of game jam games for sure and i i love that suggestion the only barrier i see there is that then your user base has to know the language so you speak uh welsh i believe right yeah correct if you did if you did a game in welsh i think your audience would be pretty small um yeah i mean that's definitely worth thinking about in that accessibility field yeah you, you're you're very right there for sure but on the other hand games like the stanley parable they don't have text on screen. They narrate everything. And that game was great. It was a lot of fun and very entertaining. So it's definitely a viable way of mitigating text in game. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we, we sort of got away from that as a theme. Perhaps we should draw a different theme. We're yeah, sure. running a little short on time, but we can we can do a quick game idea session here. So maybe I'll click randomize and get a new theme here for us. And the theme is more than one way. Okay. Now that's more of a game jam theme, I would say. Uh, It's very open to interpretation. And I think we should be able to come up with some ideas around this. Uh, Do you have any first impressions when you hear that? Um, So there's two, two generalized things that come to mind. More than one way could be more than one way to do something or more than one way of uh like getting to the goal i guess those are kind of both the same but i'm thinking more of like i'm driving to my friend's house there's more than one way to drive there or driving was one of the first things that came to me as well yeah continue sorry or um i'm painting a picture there's more than one way to paint a cat yeah yeah or or the saying is more than one way to skin a cat as well but that'd be a much more morbid game so maybe let's not do that one right (laughs) yeah i I was trying to avoid that one but uh (laughs) Apologies. That, that is the that is the euphemism right so yeah well before um, we before we explore any of these deeper is it 
if you don't mind, is it worth explaining maybe what I, if this was a genuine game jam, the kind of process that I would kind of go through at the, at, from kind of start to finish, not in detail, but just uh, like if you've just got the theme, like how, what do I do in that situation? Um, yeah. Is yeah. that okay with you? Yeah, let's go through that. Um, how, how do you approach it? The first thing it would be kind of what we do on this show now, I guess, which would be, you just talk about the idea, you, you, you brainstorm for lack of a better word, or you, you throw a bunch of ideas around. Uh, and if you're working in a team, I, I highly recommend you, you kind of jump on a voice call uh, and you just try and put out loads of ideas, even if they're bad, even if you don't think you want to do them, you just air them, get them in the air because I've had many times where I've said something that is pretty average, but then uh, Brainoid, who I work with quite often, uh, he'll hear it and he'll go, oh, yeah, we could do this. And then it, all of a sudden it, it sparked it into something significantly better. So, um, yeah, talking about it, communicate with your teammates uh, and giving yourself time, I think, uh, is important. Another thing to, to consider here is, uh, well, it, there's a few things. First off, I would say you need to maybe have a think. Are you going to go hardcore on satisfying the theme or are you going to just bend the theme to suit you because uh both are acceptable uh in in some game jams they will rate you based on the theme um so you know if you bend the theme to suit you might rank a bit less in that category but ultimately it might give you more freedom and make you enjoy the game jam so really have a have a decision as a group which way you want to go with it um for me i tend to i think theme is important Personally, so I always try and make sure that it's integrated throughout, not just the story, but also the kind of uh, the mechanics in a way that it feels like it's embedded through the game. Um, I find it challenging as well, but there have been times where I've strayed away from it if I've been struggling. Um, another thing that helps me then in that early phase would be I uh, personally like a lot of planning. I'll open a Google Doc and I'll just write down my plan. Once I've got a rough idea, I'll write and I'll write a couple of pages. And that's not, some people would see that as wasting time. And for some people that would be. But for me, what I find through articulating my plan and having to write down a bit more specific than just the elevator pitch, you end up picking up on little holes and flaws along the way. Or maybe better than that, you you you, you stumble across gold mines of how you can kind of branch your idea into something else or, or just add extra stuff into it that would really enhance the game as well. And if you don't kind of rubber duck that with yourself, it, whether it's verbally or as I do in a Google Doc, then um, yeah, sometimes you miss out on those opportunities. Um, and then for sure, and sometimes it gets too big, right? Yeah. Well, scope is on my list, definitely. So scope, <laughs> scope sensibly. So I'm te I'm terrible to preach on this because I have very rarely scoped well on a game jam before. But um, I think it's really worth once you've got your ideas. No, there's no harm in having your idea be a big idea. But you really need to strip down, uh, well, I would recommend that you strip down your initial idea to its very core uh, and break it into things that you can build on. Uh, and what I mean by build on is that you could, if you had to, if you run out of time, that you would still have something to show. So if you can break down your game into kind of sections of like, if you were doing a driving game, as we start to discuss, like that you can start a game, you can move a car around, you can get to a goal. Like that's point one. And then point two would be, oh, well, what if there's diversions along the way? And then you start adding it in little by little and it gets rid of that that sense of scope killing your game, meaning that you don't get to submit anything or people don't get to play your game. 
Um, and a, mm-hmm. another thing that's helped me with this as well is try and set yourself some hard deadlines. So you can say things such as, I will finish the coding. If it's a three-day jam, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I will finish. If I haven't finished the coding uh, by, let's say, midnight on the Saturday, then uh, we're going to have to just fall back our ideas and, and just work on polish and UI and wrapping it up. Or maybe you'd, you'd cut out a feature, you know, if I haven't finished the main story part of the game, by Sunday morning, then we're not going to include achievements. That might be something that was in your initial scope. And if you set these out in advance, then you're not making those difficult decisions when you're kind of emotionally involved in it. You can kind of stick to those and they will help keep you on track as well. Um, Because ultimately what we want is that people can play your game and you don't scrap your game midway through a jam. But uh, yeah, they're they're kind of... um, most of the, the tips I'd have when you, you're starting off trying to think, how am I going to approach it? The the, the other ish, areas, I will wait, we're short on time, so apologies, but we will definitely will get onto this uh, more than one way in a, in a moment. Uh, I would just say you can, you can consider whether or not you want to learn something in the game jam or whether you want to just try and get as, as much as you can do within the game jam period. I think that is something that uh, you can decide before you start in a jam. Because uh, learning new things can be can you can really lose time on it. And if you've got this massive idea, this really this game full of content that you want to do, but you're also learning some big new concepts or animation for the first time, you are very likely to to lose a chunk of time because it's a new thing that you're learning, and you wouldn't want that to throw off your whole thing. So it'll change your mindset going in, saying like you know the game may not be the fullest, most complete vision that I had, but I did learn something new while doing it, and it's pretty cool. Or you might be, this game really pushed my limit of what I could fit into 72 hours. And I'm really proud of what's in there. And you go, that's two different mindsets. And it leaves you feeling more satisfied at the end if you know that you are uh, going in and working with the right intention. Um, For sure. And I think that's important to discuss with your team too, as you're building your team. Oh, yeah. Make sure that yeah. everybody's on the same level as far as your goal with the game jam. Um, and often it's the goal of the game jam for me is often never to produce like a production ready game. It doesn't have to be fully polished. It should be pleasably polished, but, um, have something that works is my ultimate goal. If it works, it's a success. If you learn something along the way, it's another success, but it definitely doesn't have to be a production ready game. Pleasably polished is quite a nice term. We'll we'll have to remember that for next time. (laughs) For sure. And I'd love all of the suggestions you've come up with for me personally. Um, I, I do like writing things down, but it's much less of a full-on design doc. It's more of a, uh, a sort of just decision tree. Like, what is the loop of the game? What does that look like? Yeah. And how, how do we build upon that in a way that it makes sense? Because you definitely have to have some sort of plan going in or you're going to waste a whole bunch of time coding stuff that might not even work. I agree with you. And I, I think you've touched upon something really important that I was, I was probably going to draw upon later, which is the when, you, when you're coming up with an idea, it, it's you need to... I, I, well, I keep saying you need to. Apologies. I would recommend to, to keep in the forefront of your mind not just the game you want to make, but ask these questions of like, why will people want to play this? And this is where like game loop comes into it, right? You need to think about that, mm-hmm. that cycle. What, what will make someone want to spend time on this? What will make someone play your game twice? So if you're doing some form of exploration game, 
if you like, Legend of Zelda or, or something along that, the old SNES version, let's say, then you probably want to focus on maybe art or story in a game like that. Um, or I guess world size, but realistically in a game jam, maybe not. But if you're doing like a racing game, some form or a platformer, a challenge-based game, then what sort of things is going to make people want to play that? Well, if there's if it's really difficult to complete and not everyone finishes it, or if there's leaderboards or high scores or something competitive about it. So um, keeping, if you can keep that in mind at these early stages, these the early stages is where you really kind of decide on the core of your game. And if the core of your game is just like uh, an idea, I want to make a game about birds... It's just like that that has no mechanics that has no you're not discussing the guts of what you want to make at that point you you're just you're almost thematically thinking about the type of game you'd like to see but it, it that doesn't really help you get um into that design or the implementation process uh, and it'll you'll end up finding yourself doing that designing while you're making it and that that can it can be fun but it can also lead to a lot of wasted time and and, and problems as well for sure um one thing that i like to do with game jams is for example this one more than one way is look at the literal meaning of what the theme is and then pick apart each part of the theme and see if there is a, a different way of looking at that okay um so more than you could look at what is like the the more than symbol uh, in coding, for example, or or one way could be like, do you have one way in, one way traffic uh, lanes uh, where you're based as well? Uh, over here, it's like one way system mm-hmm. is normally like a traffic system where you can only travel around in the one direction. So is that what you mean by kind of look at them, the elements in separate them out and try and see if there's any inspiration from those? Exactly. So more than could be less than could be equal to. Mm. Um, one way could be in the traffic sense, a one way road, or it could be one as in, um, right or wrong mm. instead of it being the right way, because one way would mean you can only do something one way for it to be correct. Well, then you could do something two ways and it could be correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the, the number one in there is, is something that, that helps give ideas. Cause then you're like, well, if there's more than one way, what does it mean? to be two ways or three ways how could where would that fit into a game uh and, and that instantly pulls up a, a few ideas into my mind uh, sorry what were you going to say for sure no um i forget what i was going to say <laughs> but now that you've said that uh what what just popped into my mind is imagine you have water or electricity flowing and the level that you're given has say a splicer in it so the flow has to go more than one way and you have to do something to reach the goal that encompasses that or takes care of that issue. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, the kind of restriction in a sense that we've had from the, the theme, if you apply it like a restriction, then it's going kind to of encourage you to think of a, a new way to kind of create a puzzle slash game or, or to, to create a mechanic, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. More so there has to be more than one way. Yeah. And you're, you're given this puzzle and you have to figure out the, the answer. So some things have come into my mind with puzzle games as well. Uh, and I think I've seen this in quite a few game jams. It's, it's a great way to make puzzle games have replayability is if it's like a logical puzzle, um, where every time you start the, the level, it's the same. Um, and each action you take is tracked. Um, 
then often you have in these puzzle games that how what is the minimum amount of steps that I can solve this problem? Mm-hmm. So this can be a maze problem. Like what's the minimum amount of moves I can make with my character in order to you know open the gates and get out of the maze? Uh, I, I've seen quite a few of these, and, and that can be really satisfying. So more than one way in that sense might mean that there's more than one way to achieve it, but it could be considered a bit of a cop-out if you just go, well, there's more than one way. One way takes three steps and another way takes four steps. It, it could be on that theme category. If people are writing on that, they might see it as a little bit weak. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I have a, a few ideas uh, come to mind. So I'll, I'll spurt them out and then we can maybe explore uh, one, one or two of them if you, if you want. Um, so the, you mentioned driving game first off. Um, and that, that kind of came to mind for me as well when you said it. And I, I'm imagining more than, more than one way would be, for some reason, well, if you think of roads and, and neighborhoods, right? If you want to get from A to B, there's more than one way. We know on Google Maps, when you put in the destination, it normally takes you the quickest way, which ends up being some weird side roads that you've never gone down before. But if we can try and think, how, how could we gamify the, the fact that there's multiple routes to one destination? Uh, and, and that's made me think of things such as, well, there would be dynamic things happening in this game where you would need to choose the right way to go. So you could either have it as a, a game where you actually drive around uh, and you have maybe a sat-nav or you have some form of information telling you that, oh, there's traffic on this road uh, and you need to kind of react to that. Um, or you could even take, it could still have that driving theme, but keep in mind, you can you can do a driving game without driving where effectively, if you think of it as, uh, you get to just press turn left or right um, and you have a sat nav and you need to, the car is driving itself. We can say in the future, futuristic cars, whatever you want to do, automatic drivers, uh, uh, but you're given instructions to it in order to navigate it around. So that that could be a, a, a kind of a reaction game and a, a navigating this map in order to look ahead and, and plan your route which is dynamically changing based on on traffic or accidents or you could set it in a different theme you could make it during a war if you want and have you know different fight zones or or explosions and stuff happening around which restrict so uh that's one idea with the the driving game uh and another idea that came to me was um kind of um i guess that one mini game Initially, I saw it in uh, Takeshi's Castle, but it's a a game that is uh, probably more famous these days in Fall Guys, you know, where you have that line of walls and there's like six gates and five of them are real gates and one of them is just a solid wall and you need to run into them and you're trying to get to the end. There's multiple ways through, but you don't know the ways until you run into that wall to work out, is this going to fall over and be a door or is this going to be a brick wall that I'm running face first into? Mm -hmm. So... uh, like that idea is a very the trouble with that is one i think it it fits the theme well two i think it's a small scope to make just one uh mini game i know you personally have experience of of making kind of uh games of that nature as well um but i guess the downside is people go like oh it's like that game in four guys and that can really kind of devalue your work and your effort sometimes where people just instantly associate your game with something similar and just kind of Imply, even though they're entitled to and they're not wrong, but imply, oh, it's just a ripoff of this game. So that would be the downside of kind of exploring an idea that's too similar to something like that. Yeah, for sure. If you're doing something like that, it's more for educational purposes to see if you can do it and be successful in doing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the approach I would take personally. Um, yeah. Looking at this one, I, when you started talking about the car game, it started giving me some ideas because in this you would really want to narrow it down to either uh, a single level or something of that sort just to keep the scope in check. 
And I, I sort of thought of this other game idea that I had a long time ago. So imagine you're driving and you're trying to get from point A to point B in this world. And this world is real time. So events are happening, but you don't know what they are until you've experienced them. So maybe construction's going on down this road and you're trying to get to the end in the best time possible and construction slowing you down. So you take a different road, but you don't know what happened in that construction. Maybe it cleared up right away. Maybe it didn't. And so these events are happening in real time, but you don't know unless you've explored all the different ways to get to the end point. So would you, so you're suggesting a, a static world and are the events, um, persistent as well not persistent sorry i mean are they um static in the sense that they will happen every time you play it right yeah it's sort of an exploration game to try and find out what's going to happen and who knows maybe a story is happening and you have to discover it and you have no idea what's interesting about uh, like approaching it in that way is you're you're instantly giving a bit of a reward for people to play the game again it, that, that it's mm-hmm. it's also a drawback in a way because you're the it's it's purely it's almost luck for you to complete the game first time some people like that feeling of being good at games and if they should play it they'll be instantly good at it whereas this type of game is kind of encouraging you to a trial and error and memory and experience but ultimately what it means is almost every time you play it, you're going to be getting better and that little feedback loop of you getting better can be something that makes people want to keep playing it. So um, I definitely think there's, there's some merit in that sort of concept as well. For sure. And what I'm thinking about more so than uh, trying to complete it is sort of have, it's sort of like achievements. Like, have you found all these things? Yeah. So there's n- not necessarily an end game, except that you got from point A to point B. Like we're not going to kill the character. Yeah. Yeah. But but there's this checklist of, hey, did you find all of these things? And as you find them, they pop up on the checklist. Yeah, yeah. Um, so did did you see the bird that's eating a hot dog? Uh, <laughs> did you did you see the crane drop the boulder on the car? So, yeah. And I think what's good about this as well is that if you have a team, then everybody can work on their little event. I see. Without necessarily interrupting each other's work. In isolation. Yeah, I think that's it's definitely a good point to talk about there is that there's the modularization of, of your workload. If you're working on your own, then it's great and also terrible because you're responsible for everything, but you don't have to worry about sharing that workload, right? But, um, mm-hmm. or not sharing it, but splitting it up um, without stepping on each other's toes. So yeah, I think that that's definitely worth considering uh, and, and the way that you break down the tasks. But when you were saying that, what's interesting about this? Because I, I think it's important to say that the idea that we've, we've just put out there now uh, it actually would work with one of the other ideas I had in mind. And, and that's the, the point I want to draw parallels between these two now is to show that just this idea was applicable to driving, but you can really just twist it. And, and then that, I guess, if you don't always go with your first idea, it may be more likely that you end up having a slightly more original idea. I think we've all been in game jams before where you end up playing the same type of game 20 times because everyone had that instant first thought and went with it. So um, we were talking about uh, the driving game, right? Where you, you have a choice to go different ways and you will learn about there's different events and those events may influence your ability of uh, getting to, the, to your destination quicker or you might learn something or experience something. But um, uh, an- another way or a similar uh, kind of parallel but in a completely different game setup would be almost like a, it could be a platform game or it could even be, if you're familiar with Undertale, if you take out the mini games, just a very simple, basic walking around game. 
um, where or Earthbound, similar to that, I guess, right? Where you can explore and you can pick up things, and you need, you still need to get to a destination, but you can pick up objects and you can interact with them. And what you tend to get in games that have objects like that is that you can use that object at different places in the world that you don't know. So it kind of rewards exploration in that way. Um, so essentially, like it reminded me of this idea when you when you said what you did, because you're like, oh, did you see this along the way? Did you see the bird do this? Or did you see the crane doing whatever you said? Uh, those are, that's a good way to hint to your audience, oh, there's more content in there. You could play again. But I think it, to take it another level, if you could think of not just like, oh, there is other stuff, you should go and find it. If you kind of make that part of the experience. So let me, I'll pitch you uh, a parallel idea. Um, so if you imagine a you're, a, you're an adventurer and you are trying to uh, get to your destination, whatever your goal is, right? Uh, and essentially it's a simple game where you can just you imagine like a, a Mario-esque game, um, a platformer, where you can just go from the left of the screen to the right. And if you just walk across the hallway, you'll walk past various things. And if you get to the end, there'll be a little flag. You get there and you'll say, yeah, you've completed the game. And it'll give you really basic credits. That's it. End of the game. But with this, if you think about this more than one way theme, essentially what we want to introduce is like players are going to think, what, that's it? But then you hint in the credits or you the, the, the jam they may get the hint already that... No, there must be more to it than that. And so they replay the level again. And through interacting with the level or objects that you find, uh, that allows you to unlock different paths or allows you to, to kind of skip that that first flag ending and, and to get deeper and deeper into the adventure. Um, and so those different scenarios you said on your driving mission that you, you might end up seeing uh, scenario A or scenario B, they become kind of modular add-ons of content that you can have to your game. So to, to throw in some random examples, let, let's just think, um, first off, there's, uh, in this most basic mode, we you can imagine we have some really basic music. Just one instrument, single notes, nothing fancy about it. And if you just walk to the ending, you get that, congratulations, you finished. But let's say when you play through it again, uh, you interact with a certain object in the, in, the, in the world. Let's say that there's a tree and you shake it and then you get a piece of fruit. The music will build up then, you might get another instrument in there. And if you come to the ending, it might allow you to, uh, to unlock a slightly different ending where there's a guard that you can give this apple and then he's distracted, you can get past him, for example. Or maybe there's an enemy in the game uh, and instead of killing the enemy and jumping on his head like you would in a platformer, you instead try and give it the item. And then that might mean that, oh, they're now your friend and you can use the fact that this enemy can jump really high in order to get to a different place. It's kind of like gated bits of content. Uh, and I think that directly encourages that replayability element um, without almost just saying, oh, you could have done more. It's almost you're giving them that scenario, mm -hmm. very similar to the driving example, uh, where they want to use their prior experiences in order to really kind of uh, help them unlock more in the game. For sure. And I really like the idea of the flag. Um, if it were 2D, I imagine, like, you have the Mario flag, right? At the end of the yeah, Mario yeah, level. Yeah. So you're stuck between that cliff drop-off and the flag, and all you can do is touch the flag. But what if there's something in the yeah. background that you just didn't interact with that allows you to get over the flag and then you didn't touch it and now you have more to explore. Um, so I yeah. really like that idea. Um, there is one thing that's sort of 
bugging me about that approach versus the driving game and it's that uh yeah sure if, unless the world persists you have to do everything in order again and that can get frustrating yeah, to yeah. the player because you it, as soon as you figured out oh i can climb over the flag using the ladder you don't want to have to grab the ladder every time and go over the flag again um yeah you, you're completely right i think you have that there's a slight linear to the game uh, compared to the driving one, it, you'd use that knowledge to to plan your route differently, right? I think you're in the driving one. You're giving yourself, you know, twenty different routes you could go. Um, so I, I guess if if we wanted that element to kind of carry over to the more kind of the adventurer type of game, it would be more of a case of instead of just getting over the flag, it, it might be oh, you can actually this there's an invisible platform that you can jump up and it's a different section above you instead of just replaying the the same stuff. But it it, it does make it difficult. Because I think you basically where this this idea would be challenging is that you have to be quite creative mm-hmm. and 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 think how can we add stuff that isn't immediately obvious, but also isn't so obscure that players feels don't even discover it and don't get to explore your game for sure. Um, and so like one ex- um, and I I'm gonna take a note here from a video I watched not too long ago in Stardew Valley. Um, uh, what was it called? The video is from Game Maker, to- Game Maker Toolkit, and it's about incentivizing players and giving them rewards, developing rewarding activities. Mm-hmm. And their example was in Stardew Valley. Um, I think it was Stardew Valley, where in the inventory, they originally said, hey, here's a recipe, you can go build this. But then there wasn't an incentive to go out and find more recipes and things. So what they did was they grayed out the things that oh it was don't starve not stardew valley um they grayed out the things in the menu for crafting that you didn't know the recipe for but it was something that you knew existed so you wanted to go explore to find the things that gave you the recipe and so i think that sort of system could help a lot in this where um the original credits roll and you have one white name on it but underneath it has a grayed yeah. out thing with a question mark. Like then you want to go back and find. Yeah, it could have all the characters that you've met in the game, for example, and there's just a bunch of them which are grayed out. Yeah. Or like undiscovered and question marks. And and the same thing with your with the driving idea would be the 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 checklist of things that you were saying that oh there, there are these things and you're like well I didn't see that mm-hmm. and it, it gives you that that incentive to go back uh, back into it. I think you're completely right. You giving people if people don't know something is there then you can't blame them for, for missing out on it. Not everyone is going to play your game with as much hope for content and expectation uh, that you may have when playing games. And and, and so, yeah, we, we want to definitely find ways to, to... If you're putting non-immediately available content in your game, you want it to be found. Or you want it to, to be... You want the player to at least know that they can experience more if they play it more. For sure. Um so yeah i think that's a really good point yeah so in this particular game i really like the credits idea and as you find things maybe it adds more gray things into the credits to um to help incentivize more exploration i really like the exploration i think 2d makes it a little hard because you're limited to sort of where you can place things so 3d or yeah it makes it more linear right yeah doesn't it in terms of the the different alternative routes to go but it, i mean yeah it, it 
2D would, it, it could work, but I think it requires a little bit more uh, design to make it feel right and less repetitive, yeah. Whereas the 3D would instantly give you potentially the scope for a, a vaster world um, and and give players that, that feeling that they're, they're going a different route rather than just, you know, skipping over a little bit of this linear path. For sure. So in, in my mind, it would be 2.5D or 3D. Um, mm-hmm. which it 2.5D is 3D. It's just different graphic style. So 3D game. Yeah. Um, exploration okay. is great. Um, I I guess the next step would be to give that initial goal to the player so that they know what they are trying to accomplish in between or from A to B, and then all the stuff in between is the exploration. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it, you could be a kid who's always grown up um idolizing adventurers you've you've seen these you know arthur and the sword and different stories of these heroes who go off and they find monsters or they uh save people or help um people from trouble uh and essentially you're a a young uh girl or a young guy who who aspires to go on your own adventure but when you go to go on said adventure you find it really underwhelming if you just walk straight to the end and maybe it can be that that big meaningful mission that uh, that uh, meaningful kind of message sorry of you know it, it's it's not just about the destination it's about the journey there and what you do along the way and so you kind of naturally encourage to go okay well if i want this adventure to be an adventure i need to go and find things um and so if we if we think of it as a like a non not too like fast paced action if imagine it like a you can walk around and explore and you might find an item that goes into a little inventory of yours. And then you can, if you go up to a, a character then, so let's say you find a bone on the floor and then there might be a guard dog at a different gate. And if you walk up to that guard dog normally, he just barks at you, bork, bork, bork. But if you go up with the with the bone, it says, oh, you can use this now. So it's one of those games where you kind of, it's exploration, matching items to unlock different kind of, sections of your content and that will all build up to meet more characters which may influence the how you get to that that flag if you will yeah so uh i loved your dog in the bone example that's that's perfect and that gave me sort of the idea that maybe you're a character who's trying to escape Kattenberg, (laughs) (laughs) and uh maybe not cat theme who knows but uh you're trying to get out of this town again and so you're trying to make your way uh, through the fortress and you have all these different events happening. Um, so getting past the dog could be one of those things. And if he did it the first time, he starts barking, guards come and something happens. Big deal. Um, yeah. In another path, you might see somebody else who needs food. Did you did you feed this person? And then when you finally get out through the gate, you get the credit roll. And it shows all of the things that you did. Yeah, it may even be that you know that that time where you come across a boss. You know, instead of just getting to a flag and you win, you come across a a villain or some something that's terrorizing the town. And the fact that you saved, you gave food to the to a, a guy who who needed food earlier, for example, that he will play a role in that battle, where you know it, mm. he will distract him, which allows you to hit its weak spot on the back or something silly along those lines. But uh, it, it's just, it's just like all these that. ways where you could easily finish. Uh, like you fight the boss, but you just weren't strong enough. But still, you're a brave adventurer. And I really love that idea of having multiple endings. Uh, and but it really doesn't suit a game jam 
but uh, me, me, no, and, no, it doesn't. Me and Brainoid <laughs> Games, who I work a lot with, have uh, <laughs> such a habit and an, a, a kind of affinity for put, trying to put so much unexpected content into a game jam game. We made a game called One True Love before, which had um, it's essentially a, a potion based game where you had to brew potions together, and it was it was very silly trying to make fun of the whole fairy tale stories of uh, of a character drinking the potion of love to fall in love with someone right so you you had to find out what the potion of love mm. was through combining these different ingredients but there was four different ingredients could be combined in 16 different ways so there's 16 different potions and if you gave the wrong potion to the, your one true love uh it would have a different ending for all of them so if if one of them was like a ended up turning into like a, a werewolf potion you could use that on enemies but if you used it on your one true love it would do an ending where oh the the one that you you wanted to to marry has now turned into a werewolf and do a little bit of silly text in an image to go with it so we got like great feedback on that in terms of people didn't expect that much content but you spent so long making all of these permutations of endings that it's really asking a lot of yourself for a game jam that is where like what i said earlier about that is your initial scope and then you got to, when you start the game jam, you got to think, okay, what is our very minimum viable product that we could get our idea encapsulated in this? For sure. And then could we put it into different modular chunks that we can add on if t- and when time permits? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to pitch this idea to you then. All right. Um, I'm listening. We have this adventure who's maybe up against, um, I don't know, uh, a tyrant of some sort. And so he's going to, he's decided he's going to confront this tyrant. And on his journey to the tyrant, it's a straight path. You can just go straight there and confront mm. them, but you're going to lose. Yeah. And so on your way, you can find all of these people to join your party. So you go past this dog and the dog's barking. If you give the dog a bone, well, the dog's going to join you in your battle at the end yeah. because he's you've, you've satisfied that, um, that goal. And so when you go and finally get to this tyrant... If, if you have enough people and they have the right skills, then you're going to beat him and it'll have a certain ending. And if not, then you're going to lose and you got to go back and try again. I think I think what, what you've done there is you've done a really effective way of taking the idea and simplifying the implementation mm-hmm. and the design uh, constraints that it's putting on. Because initially we're going to have to think of how can we have level design where this new this one path to the boss now has these secret ways that you can go, oh, if I use this item here, it will... Uh, open this door that I didn't know I could open and then I can go into another section. Instead of having all these clever kind of uh, or meaningfully designed uh, layout of levels and interaction of items and paths, instead it's more of a simplistic of if you figure it out, it just adds a character to your party. And then when you get to that boss, it's more of a lot, that's, that's more of a straightforward kind of implementation of when I'm at the boss, uh, did I feed dog? Did I help homeless person? You know, did I um, help the chicken cross the road? Whatever. Uh, and if you did all of these things, then uh, they, they will add a character into that screen and it will play out a certain ending based on how many you've met. It makes it a bit more kind of um, a simplistic, but it still encapsulates that idea, right? Yeah. And it gives it gives you scope that is realistic for a jam. Certainly. It brings it back into the game scope, as I was about to say that. Yeah. Um. And then as as stretch goals, you could also have it so that uh, certain interactions, if you fail at or just miss, 
they would add a character to the boss's party. Yeah, that's that's an interesting dynamic to it. Just so that way, I almost feel it'd be nice if there was an element of gameplay in that last boss fight. So it's not just a case of Mm -hmm. you've ticked all these uh, these boxes, so you win. Whereas there's still a chance of, oh, you haven't found them all. It's going to be harder, but you might still find a way to do it or you might get lucky. It might be like throw the dice, right? So you could get lucky. Uh, but that that will allow your your concept there of, um, you know, if you fail this or you, you make a, a perhaps a immoral choice, then you may send someone to, to go and take the side of the tyrant and therefore making that final battle maybe a little more epic, but ultimately more difficult to be successful in. Yeah, and getting a little further away from the scope, um, it could be sort of like a (laughs) a rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock type deal with your different characters. And so uh, dog beats cat, the the combat kind of mechanism. Ah, okay, okay. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and so depending on what side the character is on, it it could influence the battle. Yeah, I think there's lots of lots of uh, kind of room here to kind of interpret how we, how you would want to to kind of gamify this and how you'd want to reward players for for their exploration and stuff. But I, I think um, one of the things I'd like to reiterate is that idea of um, as you do more of the stuff that you get immediate reward. Um, so that's why, you know, when I talked about like the basic music to begin with, maybe every time you get a new character, one, that character will follow your character around then. So visually you, oh, they're, they're in my party now. Uh, but secondly, maybe the music starts uh, beating, uh, getting a bit more upbeat or getting more instruments in there. Um, or maybe there's, there's like a crowd gathering around the town ready for this fight based on how notable, uh, how, how well known you are, for example. It's just these little keys, uh, like hints that tell the player they're doing the right thing through going to gather these people. Because otherwise, they, people might not understand that mechanic that the more people you talk to, it helps you win that boss fight, right? So, so give, giving breadcrumbs uh, or bread trails along the way uh, will make it interesting. And, and, and just on that music front, I think music is an area that is often uh, kind of the weaker area of game jams if you don't have a musician on your side. Agreed. And I was I was going to add that with the music, that's a really easy way to do it because what you can do is you can layer the, the track mm. and say have a good track and a bad track. And as you do more things good, it adds more layers to the music. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it starts out with just drums and percussion and then you do a couple of good things and it adds keyboards or synth or yeah. guitar or something yeah. until you have this enormous grandiose track and conversely if you go into the negative and you're losing this battle you get a different soundtrack that has different layers building on yeah i i think that's a lovely idea because how else would that be done in a game you would just have a good and bad bar right and you either go into the left and the right of the bar and that doesn't sometimes that can be less rewarding and especially if you know oh i'm all the way in the bad is it worth me carrying on whereas the music even though it conveys that still that same message to you it's not quite as you don't feel like the game is as as or how to win the game maybe or how good you're doing in the game is as obvious mm-hmm. or, or or trackable from a player scoring point of view you know yeah it's a subtle hint that that feeling that people have with like oh i've messed up i might as well start again like that you, you kind of you, we want to stray away from that we want to reward alternative ways of, uh, of of playing and exploring uh, and like a, a silly take if you wanted to try and add a bit of humor into that idea you had of different in- of like different instruments and that coming in you could even have it that it's just a tune that like your character's whistling while they're off on an adventure and then you get the dog on your side and then he'll balk every so often just like to kind of add to like it's almost like a, a 
a bunch of you people singing that same tune, adding their own little voices. Uh, and that's a way to integrate the, the voice acting stuff that I talked about earlier that will really give it a bit of a, even though the game may be simple, you know, you're going to talk to different people, giving them the right objects so that they follow you around. The fact that it changes your game experience when they're on your side, not just at the end, but, oh, now the music's changed and, you know, the cat meows the chorus of the little tune every so often. Um, that that just gives you that that sense of, um, it's a mix of polish, it's a, a mix of an interesting experience, um, and it adds a lot of character and mood to a game. Uh, which are areas that can can often uh, be kind of overlooked in a game jam. 100% agree. It breathes a lot of life into the game. Mm. Um, We're ballooning our scope a little bit here, but I I like the way that we've done it. What are you on about? We've we've ballooned the scope in a good way. It's easy for a a year game jam, right? Yeah, a a one year. Yeah, just just take it from a weekend to a year and we're good. Yeah, for sure. Um, So... I think that's pretty good for a game. We've we've definitely hit the mark on the theme. I think this is the best implementation of the theme I could ask for. Um, we do have to find a name for it. Ah, uh, well, well, it's. I'm forcing us to find a uh, name. Is it an honest well, adventure? I mean, it, it could be. <laughs> well, if we were going with the idea that you were like a a, a young girl who, who's always wanted to be an adventurer, but. And that idea that you can just go and finish it and it's a really rubbish adventure, then it could be called a worthy adventure, which would be a bit of a, a play on uh, an honest adventure with mine. But if, if we're talking more of a thematic, there is this tyrant and we need to build up, then I think that's where it would really come down to coming up with a, a silly standout name for that tyrant. Um, mm-hmm. uh, where you, you kind of make it a bit of a, a long title, even with some subtext you know, um, so it, it could even be called more than one way, and then you give it a subtitle um, to do with the tyrant. So whatever his name, terrible Terence is whatever, whatever. You just a bit of alliteration, a bit of silliness, something that people will not have seen before. Yeah. Um, while you were talking about that, I thought the the main title of the game could just be "I've had enough" because you're going to confront someone, and then the subtitle. Um, going on with our more than one way to to finish the game could change based on how their previous their previous uh, interaction with the game went. So maybe it's oh that sounds that sounds fun. Maybe yeah. it's uh, I've had enough, and the subtext is an honest adventure like your game, but then maybe you failed or or did something different the next time, so it changes to a different adventure. Okay, I kind of like the idea of that, even if. Um... I like if you can think of creative ways to do that for all the different kind of permutations, then I think that is the ideal way. But even if you just did, um, uh, you could change the title in that same way, but adding the names of the characters who have been on your side. Mm-hmm. So if you had like the icon of the game up in the middle of the screen while you were playing, I know that's not conventional in a normal game, but it could be like um, um, the more the merrier featuring and then, and then you have the it, the name of the game kind of adds on the characters as you go along, but it, I mean, yeah, that, that's I would have not thought of uh, a kind of dynamic title like that. So that yeah, that's a, a being creative with the title as well. How dare you? <laughs> You're making me look bad. Cool. So I I guess with that we're not really creating a static title. There would have to be in order to list the game, but. Uh... Uh, if if you want something, we could go the more the merrier, which in, in, encourages the the idea of having more people, uh, or uh, the a worthy adventurer, 
as I said earlier, as a, you, you want to make it worthy. You need to go and make this adventure, mm-hmm. an adventure, through interacting with the, the, the world around you, rather than just expecting the goal. I'm kind of thinking about Lord of the Rings here and kind of want to name it Our Fellowship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, I think that's a, a lot more uh, cool sounding than the more the merrier. I, I'm leaning towards your option there. Cool. We'll, we'll, we'll call it that then. Our Fellowship. And it's an adventure, a dynamic adventure. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Our Fellowship, a dynamic adventure. And the title will change based on your previous playthrough. I th- yes, scope. Definitely. We're not overscoping this. That's fine. That's fine. No, we're not overscoping. <laughs> this is perfectly Perfect. in scope. This is a one weekend, 48 hour jam that you'll never complete. <laughs> yeah, as long as I don't have to do it, I will agree to this. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always great talking to you. Um, where can our listeners find you? So um, I stream on Twitch as my primary way of, of kind of participating in game development outside of work. So uh, you can find me on Twitch. Uh, under the username Honest Dan Games, all in one. Uh, I am on Twitter as well. Uh, I don't. I don't do so much on social media. So yeah, the best bet would be to come along to the Twitch channel, where I, I'm pretty much use it as an excuse to. Um, I work on a few personal projects. I do game jams, but mostly it's just to practice outside of work. Um, so I'll be learning new new things. Uh, I currently work in the uh, Unreal Engine and C plus plus for my day job. So I'm trying to fill all of my personal projects using those same skill set in order to kind of make myself better at what I do. Um, and so, yeah, if you have any interest in learning about that game engine or, or generally just uh, hanging out and chatting game dev, then, uh, yeah, I, I, I stream regularly on my Twitch channel. Excellent. Um, well, thank you. I'll, I'll also put a link in the show notes to uh, your website, I believe, where they can play previous jam games such as Trout and uh, the Curse of Kattenberg. Yeah, yeah, I think the the itch, my itch website, um, which would be honestdan.itch.io, I think it is, um, that would probably uh, have a list of all of my games and a bit of a blurb about um, what game jams they were made for. Excellent. Well, yeah, thank you again for coming on the show, Dan. It's It's been great. It's been a pleasure. It's, it's really, really fun just to have a chat about this stuff. It's one of those things that we, we kind of engage ourselves in a few times a year with a game jam. But um, to have an opportunity just to sit down and talk about it in a, in a more formal setting has been really enjoyable. So thank you. You are very welcome. For our listeners, if you'd like to submit your own jam theme, visit jammerspodcast.com. You can submit all your themes there. There's also a link on our website to Patreon as well as our Dogecoin wallet. Donating is always optional, but it definitely helps us out and helps us make Jammers Podcast a priority. So thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next episode.